morning. Uh, and we're going to continue looking through Ephesians. We're going to finish chapter, uh, chapter 1 today. There's a little bit less... Oh, I'll use the word controversial, but... You know, the first half of that chapter has some really, some really awesome stuff, right? That we're redeemed and we're and we're sealed, and there's nothing that can like. Obviously, it's Paul writing, so it's not that he says this exactly. He says this in a different book, but there's nothing that can separate us. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit into Christ. There's nothing that takes us out of that. No decision we make, no thing that we've done, it, it can't take us out of it, right? That's so good. That's so heartwarming and then we deal with predestination and that kind of makes us feel a little bit worse inside sometimes because we're like oh but here's the thing I saw it was so great because here's the thing we didn't talk about it much last week because we were we were about 15 minutes from now when we started the sermon last week so we got a little extra time but but something that I didn't talk about last week that I just want to hit on real quick before we continue on the fact that you were chosen by God, right? Think about this for a second. That means that yes, you seek after him. And I'm not saying not to seek after him. But it means that before the foundations of the world, he sought you. He sought me. Before he even created anything, he sought us. He came running after me. Right? I, you know I love Casting Crowns. And on their newest album, they have a song. And the, one of the lyrics of that song is, You came running after me when anybody else would have turned and left me at my worst. Love came first. God came first for you and for me. That doesn't let us off the hook about studying scripture and striving after him and stuff like that. But how cool is that? Sit there and think about that. You, in little old New Milford, Pennsylvania, this backwater town of, I think it's like 1,800 people total in borough and township. And God said, I want them, and I'm going to go after them. You're in the same category as David, as Abraham, as Moses, as Isaac, as Peter, as John, as Paul. Pick your favorite person in Scripture that followed after Christ. Old Testament after God. You're in the same category as them. And we like to put them up on these pedestals. Maybe we should sometimes, in certain ways, right? Paul says, follow after me as I follow after Christ. But you're no better or worse than him. You're the same because Christ came after you. It's so good. That's the part of predestination we don't really talk about very often. We talk about, oh, well, God chose. Yes, he did. And he chose to come after you. Now let's hop into this week. So uh, you'll notice on your note sheet, you're going to say, Pastor, it looks like they're already filled in. I had already printed them out, cut them, and started to stuff the bulletins when I realized I forgot to do the erasing sheet. You see, here's what happens. This is my, hang on, i got to grab one. This is my note sheet. So what happens is I make my note sheet. Then I open a new Word document. I put this in the new Word document. I turn it this way. I put it into two columns. I shrink it down so that it fits. And then I erase the, highlight, the, the, the highlighted and bolded parts. And that's where your fill-in-the-blanks are supposed to go. I missed a step this week. 
That allows you to uh, to really dive in, though, I guess, and not have to worry about my notes. You have them there already. Um, but, you know, I, I came over Wednesday. I was really struggling to title this sermon. And I, I walked into my, into my office, which is currently my wife's office, and I grabbed my one study Bible. And I'm looking through the notes because sometimes you can get a sermon title from the notes. Nothing. And Maddie goes, is everything okay? And I went, yeah, I just can't figure out a title for this sermon. And I need it now because mom needs it so she can print the bulletins. I'm running out of time. I went back to the office and I and I sat down. I went back to this office and I sat down and I reread it. And the song, right? And I almost did it this morning, but uh, we we didn't do it this morning. Maybe we'll do it next week. But right, open the eyes of my heart. I wanna see you. Mm, it's a good song. And I was like, open the eyes. Of my heart. Oh, hey, those are the words here. Ha! Got it. Because God is good. So. Our sermon today is open the eyes of my heart because we read here in these next couple of verses when we get into it that, you know what? Your heart has eyes. It needs to see. And Christ, the Holy Spirit, right, is the only one that can make it. Let's read it. We're in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. It's the second half of Ephesians chapter 1. It reads, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Apparently my reading scripture is bad enough that we lost five people. Including my wife. What's that say? (laughs) Now let's dive into this. Number one on your note sheets there, pray for each other. Pray for each other for each other. Paul says, listen, for this reason, the stuff we talked about last week, right? So, number one, pray for each other, right? Paul says, I pray for you, having heard of this faith in the Lord Jesus, which is yes among you and your love for all the saints. Do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. Church, it is our job to pray for each other. We desperately need it. Prayer, if you remember back months ago, it might even be a year ago at this point, we talked about the different, it might be two years ago at this point, the, um, the, the, we went through a series, right, of our spiritual toolbox and stuff like that, and we said prayer is our most powerful and it's our most personal form of worship. We looked at the different forms of worship, and that was it. Prayer, you are praying to the author and perfecter of your faith, the creator and sustainer of the universe. And your fellow believers need your prayers. Desperately. Sometimes they don't say it. I'm going to be honest. I'm one of those good old Baptists who is too stubborn sometimes to let people know that I'm sick, that I'm having an issue, that I'm walking through a trial in life. Because I say, I just got to grin and bear it. Show me a place in scripture where it says to do that. (laughs) 
Everywhere I see in Scripture, it says to share your problems, your issues, the things that you are facing with the church around you so that they can pray for you. Now, I'm not up here saying the Bible does not say share every little sin struggle that you have, right? I've said this before, that there are people, my wife being among them, who know things about me that other people just don't. I don't, I don't, I don't see, meet somebody on the street and I go, oh, hey, just so you know, today I'm really ticked off. How you doing? It's none of their business. It's not right for me to tell them. Right? But, but I should be able to tell my church family, you guys, if you guys come in on a Sunday morning and I'm just having a rough go of it, it's nine o'clock and I have had just a horrible two and a half or so hours since I've gotten up. I should be able to say, you know what? Today is not easy, but praise God we're here and we get to have church this morning, right? I should be able to tell you guys. And you should be able to tell me how often do we say, oh, it's good, I'm having a good day. And deep down inside, we know that we're not. We should be able to share with each other. And then we should be praying diligently for each other day in and day out. I'm not saying you have to pray for every Christian that you know each day. That would, you never stop praying. Maybe you should because we're supposed to pray without ceasing. But, but you know what? When God puts the person on your heart, pray for them. Don't ask why. Don't go, oh God, why did they end up in my head? Just go, all right, Father, I'll pray for them right now. There's nothing that you're doing that you can't stop for 30 seconds and lift that person up in prayer. Pray for each other. We all desperately need it desperately we live in a day and age that is dark literally since adam and eve we have lived in a day and age that is dark but it seems to be ever more prevalent now just pressing in on us we need each other's prayers so number one is pray for each other number two also here's the thing you also should be praying that god will reveal the scriptures to you i don't mean that you'll be able to read the words but that god will reveal the hidden secrets found in Scripture, and there are. I've said this many times, and I'm going to keep saying it for the rest of my life, I think. Scripture never says more than it says. It does say more than you see. And that's where number two comes in, the eyes of the heart. So here's the thing. The heart, we think of now as the seat of emotions. Back then, it was not. There was a different part of the body that we won't go into. But it was still, the heart was still the seat of the, the soul or the spirit. That's where they thought that the soul spirit resided. Does it reside in the heart? I, I don't know. I know that you can survive without a brain. I know you can't survive without a heart. You kind of have to, you have to have a brain. You can survive if your brain dead. Your body keeps going. It doesn't without a heart. And if you've ever seen somebody die, as their heart slows and stops, you can see the life just leave them. The heart is your most important thing. Now, we also read, right, in Jeremiah that it's desperately wicked and deceitful and who can know it, right? It's not necessarily a good thing, but it's your most important thing. And Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened or open, depending on which translation you use. NASB uses enlightened. The heart is the center of the person. And then he says, I want you to be enlightened or opened to these three things. Number one, I want you to be enlightened to the hope that, know what is the hope of his calling. I want your heart to be enlightened to the hope of Christ's calling on you. It drives you. Now, 
I have a calling on my life right now to be a pastor. I have felt that call since I was a kid. I didn't understand it when I was a kid, but I have known that call was in me since I was literally a kid. My dad said that when I was three years old, he knew. But we all have different calls in our life. Individual calls, right? But we all have one major call, and it's to follow after Christ. It's to be his, to keep walking in that, to become more Christ-like, and to bring others along with us as we go. Know what is the hope of his calling. You're not alone. And he gives us hope in that. And then to know the riches, right? We're in, we're in verse um, uh, 18 right now, just so we know. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? The riches of the inheritance. Now here's the thing. Let's read that real quick here. The riches of the, of the glory of whose inheritance? Not yours. His inheritance. Christ's inheritance. Do you want to know what the inheritance is? Right there it says, what are the riches of the glory of the inheritance in the saints? We are part of the inheritance of his. We're not the only thing. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He has been given, we read a little bit later in this chapter, he has given, everything is put as subject underneath him. But you and me are part of his inheritance. The people that he called and gave hope to. Now here's the other great thing about that. It's his inheritance, but we're the ones that benefit from it. <clears throat> right? How often do we hear Jesus' birthday is the only birthday where he gives out the presents? Kind of true. We are part of the inheritance, but we also are the ones that gain from the inheritance the most. Because we get to become his children. Remember we mentioned last week, you will always be a slave. You will always be a servant. You will always be in a form of bondage. Who are you a slave to and what are you a slave to? In this inheritance that we get is slavery to him. And it's not like slavery in any way, shape, or form, except that we have a master. But you have freedom in that. Those shackles are broken. And then finally, there in verse 19, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? The greatness of his power towards us who believe. Church, I have seen things, and I'm young. I feel old sometimes, but I'm young. But I have seen things that defy explanation. I can't explain it. I have seen God move and work in ways. Now, I've seen him move and work in ways that do, that do have an explanation. Besides just, well, he's God and can do it. But I've seen him do things that are just breathtakingly incredible. He has this surpassing power towards us who believe. Church, notice this does not say that it's going to make everything easy. It doesn't mean that everything's going to go well. It doesn't mean everything is going to go the way according that we think it should, the plan that we think it should go to. Nope. But that power will be manifest through us. He uses that power for us. This surpassing greatness of his, of his power. Open the eyes of your heart. Now here's the thing. You might say, well, do our eyes need to be open to that? You bet they do because how often do we miss what God does because we're too busy looking for the red seed apart. We're too busy looking for the great thing that we miss all the little things. 
See, that's what Paul is praying for here. He's praying that the eyes of the heart will be opened to the little things, the things when we gloss over, the things that we so often miss because we're too busy looking towards tomorrow, because we're too busy looking out towards what's the big thing God's going to do. And God's saying, I want to do a whole bunch of little things that's going to lead to the big thing. Why don't you look at it and see it? Because we're too busy, the eyes of our heart are closed to it. Church, I want you to know that as your pastor, I pray that the eyes of your hearts are opened. I pray that the eyes of my heart is opened. I have dreams that I'd love to see God do. But they're not going to happen. I mean, they could. I'm not saying they can't. They could happen overnight. I highly doubt they will. Most of the time, those dreams are made up of little tiny steps that lead up to a big thing. And I pray that the eyes of our hearts are opened and that they are continually open. Because here's the thing, church. Here's the other thing, right? Sometimes the eyes of our heart are opened and we see so much. And then we start focusing on the wrong things and we shut it down real quick. We go through cycles in life. Hills and valleys, peaks and valleys, right? The key is to have more peaks and to stay on that peak longer as you're going. So number one, right, was pray for each other. Number two was the eyes of our heart. And number three is Christ in power. Christ in power. These are in accordance with the working of the strength, I'm in verse 19, with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. So here's the thing, right? Christ is seated at the right hand. We got a little bit of time, so I kind of want to get into this. Let me preface this by saying, this is not a hill that I will ever die on. It's just something that I've come to believe in my limited and young reading of Scripture. Where's Christ? This is not a trick question. I just gave you the answer. Where is Christ? In heaven, at the right seat of the Father. Does the Bible ever say he's anywhere else? No, it doesn't. Is he? Or is the Holy Spirit here? A hill I'm not willing to die on. Christ stripped himself of his omnipresence when he came to, heaven, to, when he came to earth, correct? Because he was man. Does the Bible ever say he put it back on? It says he's seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. It says, I send the Holy Spirit down to you. We know God the Father is omnipresent. We know the Holy Spirit is omnipresent. We are told, we are told Christ stripped himself of it and never told that it's put back on. Could I be wrong? You bet that I could be. Again, not a hill I'm willing to die on. It's a thing that I look at and I read through scripture and I go, everywhere it talks about Christ, it says he's at the right hand of the Father or like when he appears to Paul or when he comes back at the triumphal entry and such. But it never says that he's actually here. It says the Holy Spirit's here. It's just an interesting thing. Do your own research on it. Read your own stuff on stuff on, on everything. But on that, I find that interesting. Is he omnipresent? I don't know. I see in scripture that it says he's with God at the right hand of the Father. Just an interesting tidbit of information. But either way, whether he's here as well, whether he's omnipresent or not, we know he's seated at the right hand of the Father because we're told that. And we know that our rule, authority, power, and dominion, he's given power over all of that. And here's the thing. Why are all of those different words used, right? Because in the ancient Greek where this is written, all those words had a different connotation to them. They meant things like the spiritual realms, the physical realms, 
So he uses these different terms to say, listen, there is not a single thing that Christ is not over. Creation is all under him. Every aspect of it. Heaven, hell, earth, the, the angels, demons, everything. The only people that aren't under him is God the Father and the Holy Spirit, which he's a part of. We're not going to get into the Trinity today. We will never understand it quite right. That's okay. But all those different words are used because Paul wants us to understand, listen, there is not a single thing, a single atom that's not his to command and control. We often think about how evil the world is, how dark the world is, how things just always seem to go wrong, and oh, evil wins. Yes, it does, but it's under the thumb of Christ. He allows it to work. And one day we'll we'll talk about the uh, theology of evil. It's an interesting study. The simple answer is, right, that God allows it to work because he's dealing in an age of grace. So he's, he's allowing it to work right now. He won't, but right now he is. But never mistake what's going on in the world for saying God has taken his thumb off. Or God has just been like, well, I wash my hands of this creation. I'm going to go to Mars and see what I've got going on there. No. He is still in control. Church, whether Joe Biden and Kamala Harris or Donald Trump and Mike Pence are elected on November 3rd, it does not matter. Because Christ is the one that's in control. Because Christ is the one that set him up. That's the long and the short of it. Now, I'm not telling you not to go vote. You have a civic duty. You live in this country. God blessed you enough to put you in this country. Go vote. I cannot tell you who to go vote for. That's illegal. But I can say to vote. But you know what, church? We don't have to be scared whether we like Trump or not, whether we like Biden or not, it doesn't matter. We don't have to fear or worry because Christ is the one that's in control. Everything was put subject underneath him. Everything, including you and me. I love that he ends now, of course, this was a letter, so it didn't have chapters in it. But you can figure that this is a paragraph, right? It's the ending of a thought. And he ends our thought for this chapter, this paragraph, with all things are under Christ. Every little thing is under him. And then, right, so we're in verse 22, and he puts all things in subject in subjugation under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Church, did you ever realize the fact that you are the body of Christ and that you are the fullness of him on earth? Right, we think about it sometimes. We go, okay, church, yeah, yeah. I'm God's hands, or I'm God's feet. I like to think that I'm his left pinky toe because I like to be funny. And also because you ever cut off a pinky toe, you don't have balance anymore. But either way, no matter what part of his body that I am, it doesn't exist without me or without you. Christ is put as the head of the church, but it says very clearly that the church exists in him and through him, and is the fullness of him. Does the church need you or I? Or not, excuse me. Does Christ need you or I? No, he does not. Does Christ want you or I? Yes, he does. Does Christ use you and I? Yes, he does. 
How refreshing to know you don't meet, need me, right? We don't serve a God that needs me because if I did, why am I serving that God anyway? I should be God at that point. But how amazing to find that you still would want me. This all goes back, really, we've talked the, fast couple, the past couple weeks about predestination, about Christ wanting us. We started off today doing it, and here's the thing, church. If I can leave you with something over these past two weeks, and we're going to continue on through Ephesians, but through chapter one, if I can leave you with something, here's this. God wanted you. Before the foundations of the earth, he said, I want fill in your name. I'm going to make them mine. I'm going to take them. I'm going to fulfill them. And I'm going to use them for bigger, greater things. There's a lot of stuff that we can't fully comprehend, that we can't fully understand. But I thank God that I'm part of the family. Because this whole book, right, this whole book would be foolishness to me if I wasn't. But this book is our life. It's our joy. It's what makes us. I can't imagine not being able to be opened to the secrets of it. I can't imagine just reading these words and going, okay, some of those poems are well written. Yeah, they are, aren't they? Paul sounds like a lawyer. Yeah, he does, doesn't he? But I get to know what's in this thing. Not everything. God doesn't reveal everything to me. He's not going to reveal everything to you. But he reveals at least some. And it's so incredible. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that you would open the eyes of our heart. Father, we need it. I need it. I know that I, I miss things so often because I go back and read things and I go, how have I never read that before? Or how did I miss that the last time that I read it? But you open our eyes each and every time we read through something. I thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to be in and with us. We praise you, Father. It's in the name of your Son that we pray. Amen.